Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. We started a two-part series on pursuing peace. Now, for just a quick review, we said that there are three kinds of real peace, three areas of real peace. There's the peace with God, and that comes through the reconciliation that Christ made possible through the blood. And any time that we appropriate that by accepting Christ as our Savior, then we're going to be able to have that vertical peace between us and God. Then we have peace with our fellow man. Because of that vertical peace, we can now have horizontal peace. And then... Number three, we can have peace with self. That's something we have to appropriate. But we can have peace in our mind and in our emotions. And that's what I'm wanting us to learn today. I want us to learn how to appropriate that peace. Now, the one who's a Christian has already accomplished the number one area, the peace with God. So if a Christian is still in torment, then that simply means that the torment's not going on in the spirit man. We've made peace with God. That vacuum is filled up. So it's a lack of peace in the soulish realm. That means that we have some reason why we're not peaceful in our mind or in our emotions. Now, last week we said that Romans 14, 17 tells us that the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. That means it's not a physical kingdom yet. It will be at some point in time, but it's not a physical kingdom yet. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it has already begun right now. It's in our midst. And it's a spiritual kingdom made up of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Three ingredients make up this spiritual kingdom. But we're just going to be talking about the peace today. Now, last week we looked at the Old Testament formula for peace in Isaiah 26, verse 3. And it says, God will keep in perfect peace, that means constant peace, the mind, now that's not talking about the spirit man, that's talking about the mind that is stayed or that's concentrated in on God, on His Word. And then it goes on to say, the one who trusts in Him. Now, part of keeping our mind stayed on the Word of God is letting that Word come out of our mouth. And when we let that word come out of our mouth, then it's doing two things. We're also doing war in the heavenlies. So keeping that word coming out of our mouth is going to keep our minds stayed on the word, but it's also going to tear down strongholds. So it's a twofold purpose. Now the world has a lot of counterfeits, has a lot of versions of the God kind of peace. And sometimes they can be really subtle. Now I'm going to give you an example of one of these subtle perversions of peace. When I was sick, when I was having a lot of emotional problems, I had a lot of people tell me, well, just stay busy. If you'll just keep your mind preoccupied, everything's going to be okay. Well, that's not really bad advice because that's a lot better than wallowing in all the problems and mulling it over and keeping it going over and over in your head. But you're going to find out that staying busy is not a cure. See, it's never going to be an avenue for receiving this God kind of peace that the Bible's talking about. It's never going to bring a lasting peace into our mind and into our emotions. Now, a lot of people are keeping their lives very busy. They're staying busy all the time so that they don't have to face the problem because they know if they get still and they get quiet, then they know that they're going to have to deal with the pain. And so they're staying busy, but they're going to find out that they can stay busy 24 hours a day and it's not going to make the problems actually go away. All it does is just push these things back into our subconscious, but it's still there and it's still doing damage. Now, there are no shortcuts to the God kind of peace. 
There is no way that we're going to come to this kind of peace that the Word's talking about except through these principles that God has given us in His Word. Now I want you to look in John chapter 16. Now before we get into the New Testament formula, I'm going to give you two scriptures now that will sort of be a foundation for what we're going to be talking about. Now in John chapter 16, starting with verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, I've said all these things to you. I've given all these things to you so that you might have peace. And he said, out there in the world, there's a lot of tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Okay, now I want you to substitute the word problems in there for the word tribulation. He's saying, all of these things I've spoken to you. I've talked to you about these things so that you can have peace. And then he makes the distinction. He said, in the world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have some circumstances that are not going to be to your liking. He said, these things are out there in the world. But he said, take courage because I have overcome the world. I've overcome these problems. And then he turned right around and gave us the authority. So then that we could take authority over the problems. So not only did he take care of it, but he gave us the authority so that we could appropriate that authority. Okay, now with that in mind, I want you to turn to Romans 8 verse 6. Now Paul is speaking here, he was writing to the church at Rome, and he had something to say that absolutely can make all the difference in the world in our makeup if we'll just take this and put it into practice. But in verse 6, Romans 8 verse 6, he said, for the mind that set on the flesh is death. You need to circle that. The mind set on the flesh is death. Okay, what is flesh? Okay, in other words, the flesh can be sin. In other words, the mind that's set on the sinful things will bring death. Now, it doesn't necessarily, though, have to be what we think of as sin. It can be worldly reasoning. You know, worldly reasoning can be very fleshly if our mind is just constantly trying to figure all these things out with worldly logic. If we're just constantly doing a lot of worldly calculations. We're going to find that the mind that's dwelling on the negative circumstances... That's fleshly, and it's going to bring death. Now, that sounds kind of drastic when we say that when we dwell on these things, it's going to bring death. But the Bible says it will, and we've seen this over and over. It will literally bring death if we continue to let our mind stay there and dwell on those things. But then, in verse 6, he said, But the mind that's stayed on the Spirit will bring life and peace. Okay, any time then we keep our mind stayed on the Spirit, stayed on the Word of God, it becomes life, and not only life, but it becomes peace. There's that word again. And then in verse 7, it says, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. See, if your mind is set on the negative, it's not even able to subject itself to God. See, it's not a matter of our choosing against God. It's a matter that we can't keep our mind stayed on God if it stayed on the problem. See, any time we keep our mind on the problem, we're not going to be able to think on the Word at the same time. Now, you might be able to do two things at once. 
you possibly can do more than one thing at a time, but you're not going to be able to think on two things at the same time. So if our mind then is on all this fleshly reasoning, see, it's not going to be able to concentrate on the Word. And that's why Paul said it won't even be able to subject itself to God. Okay, now with that as a basis, I want you to turn to the New Testament formula for peace. I want you to look at Philippians 4 verse 6. You might want to write out in the margin, this is the New Testament formula for peace. We have an Old Testament formula and a New Testament formula or a principle, and it works. Okay, I want you to put a marker here in Philippians 4, because I want us to break this down into little bite-sized pieces. And so we'll be going back and forth. But in verse 6, it starts out by saying, be anxious for nothing. Now, before we get into this formula, I want us just to name a few things that are legitimate anxieties. I want you just to think through in your mind some of the things that are legitimate anxieties. Okay, now, what are some legitimate anxieties? You know, surely a few things are legitimate. You know, after all, we do have some problems that are pretty big. So let's read it again. It says, be anxious only for your children's well-being. Or be anxious if a tornado is headed towards your house. Or it says, let's see, be anxious now if cancer or pestilence strikes. You know, because that can kill you. Or be anxious for your finances, because after all, you have to make a living. Okay, is that what it's saying? It's telling us. He's saying, be anxious for nothing. It shocked me the first time I read that and started meditating on the fact that it's a startling realization to us when we realize that there's absolutely nothing in this world that we can legitimately be anxious about. See, we can't be anxious about one single thing without being in sin, and sin brings death. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said that the mind that stayed on the flesh, the mind that stayed on the worries and the cares of this world, the circumstances, no matter how big they might be, the mind that stayed on those things will bring death. Now, it's the mind that stayed on what Christ has done, what He promises, the things that God's doing in our life. When our mind is stayed on that, it brings life and it brings this peace that God's talking about. Now, anxiety is probably the number one enemy of peace. Now, I don't think you can think of anything that rates higher for robbing your peace than anxiety. If you'll think about it, anxiety is what robs us all the time of the peace that we have. Okay, look again at verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. Now, the understood subject of the sentence is you. So we need to put our name there. Every time I try to read that, I try to say, God is saying to me, Peggy Joyce, be anxious for nothing. And when there's a problem that's coming up and it's big and I'm thinking on it, if I'll pull myself back over here and put it in first person, Peggy Joyce, be anxious for nothing, then it calls my attention back. Now, sometimes I have to say that over and over to get a grasp of the fact that God is telling me that I cannot be anxious about one single thing and at the same time enter into this God kind of peace that He has for me. Now, anxiety is an offspring of fear. In other words, it's a child of fear. And peace and anxiety are exact opposites. We said last week that peace and torment are opposites. But anxiety is torment. And so these are opposites. They're never going to meet. And you're never going to have peace and be anxious at the same time. Now, I looked up the word peace, and that word means silence. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to talk. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, well, if my wife would just be silent, that would be peace. But that's not exactly what it's saying. It's talking about the absence of the noisy turmoil that's going on in our mind and in our emotions. Now, see, peace is a calmness. It's a quietness. It's where there's not any striving going on in our mind, where there's no striving going on in our physical body and, and in our soulless realm. And that's why the Bible tells us that we're to have a calm, quiet spirit. When he tells us we're to have a calm, quiet spirit, he's saying, I want you to walk in peace. He's talking about peace there. You know, have you ever been sitting down or, or maybe you were lying down and you knew on the outside that you looked so peaceful, but yet on the inside you knew that things were just going 90 miles an hour, your mind was racing and your emotions were churning, and you knew that there was absolutely no silence going on on the inside. There was a lot of turmoil, a lot of noise going on. Okay, this peace now from God is when that striving in our mind and our emotions ceases. Now, if anxiety is the number one enemy of peace, then we need then to find out what brings this anxiety on. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Put a marker there and then go to Matthew chapter 6. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about anxiety. In fact, when I started going through the Word of God, I was shocked at how much was being said about anxiety in the Word of God. Now, we find here in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and He's talking about some obvious causes of anxiety. Now, I realize there are some subtle things that can cause anxiety, but the things that Jesus was naming here are obvious culprits. Now, we're never going to take care of the subtle things until we take care of the obvious ones. And as we go through this, we're going to find out that we haven't taken care of most of these. We've got to take care of these first and then move into the subtle ones. But in chapter 6, verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Okay, when he says not to be anxious for your life, he's not talking about uh, don't be anxious that you might die. He's talking about don't be anxious about the living of this life, the things that you need to function this life. He said, don't be worried about your body as to what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a cubic to your lifespan? Okay, now there's some things that we can do to add to our lifespan, but certainly it's not going to be by being in anxiety. Anxiety will take away from it. And he said, why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or shall we clothe ourselves? Notice how many times Jesus is saying, Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. That's exactly why Paul was saying in his letter to Rome, Be anxious for nothing. And then he says in verse 32, For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Okay, now for those of you who were here last week, we said the key for coming into this peace is coming into that trust walk. Now, that's exactly what Jesus was saying here. He's saying trust is what is going to take care of all these anxieties that go on on the inside of us. 
Now, I'm not going to go back over the ways that we develop trust. We talked about that last week, but I want you just to remind yourselves to enter into the kind of peace we're talking about. We have to come into this trust. It's a trust walk. Now, God's using clothing and food here to represent any things for which we're striving. He's just using that as a representation. Now, it could be the bare essentials that we're striving after, or it could be luxuries, or it might be, it could be recognition or acceptance or whatever. But whatever it is that you're striving after, it's represented here in food and clothing. And you might write out in the margin, this represents anything toward which I'm striving. But in verse 31, he said, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for any of these things. Okay, then how do we get the things we need? Obviously, these are things we have to have to live. Well, he tells us in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and seek his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. So he's giving us a formula here for having our needs met. Now, if we seek first the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, then he says that these things will be added. We have it backwards. We do exactly what the world does. We seek after these things. We're trying to get all of our circumstances lined up. We're trying to see that all of our needs are met. We're trying to figure out all these ways to have these things come to us. And it's backwards. We're getting the cart before the horse. And God's way is always backwards to the world's way. But sometimes we have to continually remind ourselves so that we pull ourselves back and say, no, that's not God's way. That's not going to lead me to the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that he's talking about. Okay, now the obvious things after which we strive are listed here. But there's still some subtle things that will rob our peace just as quickly as the obvious. Have you ever felt anxious, but you just couldn't put your finger on why? There was just something not right on the inside, and it made you feel uneasy. You know, you thought, I can't put my finger in it, but something's not right. Okay, I'm going to name five things that can bring a subtle anxiety. If we're to be anxious for nothing, then we're going to have to recognize the subtle things too. Now, of course, there are a lot more than five things that can bring on anxiety. But the reason I'm mentioning these five is because these are the ones that are mentioned most often in counseling. Okay, number one is guilt from the past can bring on a subtle anxiety. Now, if you feel fearful, if you feel worried, if you're feeling guilt over any kind of a past sin, then you need to ask yourself, is it under the blood? Is that sin under the blood? See, if you've never truly repented, if you've never truly turned from that sin, then that's going to have to be the first step. But a lot of people have prayed, they've asked the Lord to forgive them. They have that sin under the blood, but they've never forgiven themselves. Even though God has forgiven them, because they haven't forgiven themselves, then that guilt is still just kind of hovering over them, just like a shroud. And it's a constant low-grade anxiety. And it's there, and it's constantly robbing their peace. Now, I'm going to give you three scriptures out of the Amplified. And if this is something that you're having a problem with that robs your peace, then I want you to take these three scriptures and I want you to apply them because you can come into peace. You can get rid of this anxiety if you'll just work at this. Now, you need to ask yourself, first of all, you know, is this sin under the blood? But if it is, then I want you to take Isaiah 53, 5 out of the Amplified. And I want you to meditate on the fact that Jesus said that he bore not just the sin, but he bore the sin and everything that came in because of the sin, the guilt and the consequences. 
I think it's interesting that Isaiah actually said guilt. He knew that the sin would not just bring consequences, but he knew it would also bring this feeling of guilt that robs our peace, keeps us in anxiety. Okay, Hebrews 9.22 out of the Amplified. It says, with the shedding of blood comes the removal of the sin, the guilt, and the consequences. Okay, and then Colossians 2.14 in the Amplified, it tells us that there is a certificate of debt that we owed, and boy, we did. We owed it because the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say then that it was nailed to the cross. That certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. It was taken completely out of the way. So the sin was put on the cross and everything that sin brought in, the, the sin, the guilt, and the consequences. Jesus bore that guilt on his body just exactly like he bore the sin and bore the consequences. Now, if you'll meditate on those promises until all of a sudden you really believe that, until it becomes a reality on the inside of you, that Jesus bore all three areas. He bore everything that came as a result of sin. And when you do, then there's going to be that peace coming in and it starts driving out that anxiety. But if you don't do that, you're never going to be able to come into the peace that we're talking about. Okay, the number two reason for subtle anxiety is the need for inner healing. Now, some of you have some things that have happened to you in your past and maybe it was something over which you had no control and yet it's there and there's scars in your memories. There's some deep hurts. And there's just some wounds down in your subconscious. Now, some of these hurts were intentional. You know, some, some of you have some things that were done to you and the person that did them, did them intentionally. They intended to do it. Some of you have some hurts that came and it was unintentional. You were hurt, but the person who did it didn't intend to do it. But we're going to find that regardless, it brought rejection and you're constantly having to deal with it. Now that's going to cause a subtle anxiety now until it's taken care of, until those emotions are healed. Now you may just need some time just to get on your bed and lie there before God and say, Lord, I know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know that. And I'm going to lie here and I'm going to allow you to bring those hurts back up out of my subconscious. I'm not talking about just bringing them up over and over and over so you'll mull over them. I'm talking about going before the Lord and giving Him permission one last time to bring all that up. Now, a lot of people run from that and they don't want to do that. But if you'll allow the Lord to bring it up in your conscious mind and then pray and say, Lord, I'm going to allow you to show me how Jesus is going to take care of this right now. See, because there's no time and space with God. He's not limited to the present. And so he can go back in time and he can heal anything that happened to you no matter how long ago it happened. See, he can heal something that happened 20 years ago just exactly and just as easily as he can heal something that happened 10 minutes ago. So just lie there, get in a place where you're before the Lord and allow him then to bring those things up and allow him to show you how he's going to touch that and heal that area and take it completely away. And if you'll do that, if you'll allow him to do that, and if you'll release faith to believe that he's able to be the healer, he's able to be the healer even of your emotions, you're going to find that a peace is going to start rising up on the inside of you. And you're going to see things differently. I never will forget when I went through inner healing. I wasn't expecting to see the change that came. It was a supernatural change that 
all of a sudden, it wasn't that I didn't remember some of those things that were back there, but it, all of a sudden they just didn't hurt anymore. You know, it was taken care of. Okay, number three, a subtle anxiety is going to be there as long as you hold any kind of unforgiveness against someone. It was just exactly like Jack was preaching Sunday. If you hold a grudge against God, or if you hold a grudge against someone else, or if you hold a grudge against yourself, there's going to be anxiety there until you get rid of it. And that's why the Word tells us that we have to forgive. Now, the King James talks about having ought against someone. Now, I'm going to give you a simple explanation of what ought is. You know, anytime you think, well, so-and-so ought to have done thus and so, or ought not to have done thus and so, or anytime you're thinking, well, you know, God ought to have come through for me. And especially we do it to ourselves, you know, I ought not to have done that, or I ought to have done that. And we're holding ought. Another word would be should. Okay, this is a simple way of explaining it, but it's going to let you know that if there is that subtle anger, that irritation over something that you think should have been done or should not have been done, because ought really is anger, then you're going to find this is a key or it's a red flag to let you know that there's something there that needs to be taken care of. Now, we don't have a choice. If we want to get rid of the torment, that subtle anxiety, then we have to come to a place where we forgive, whether it be forgiving God or forgiving someone else or forgiving ourselves. Now, this is a requirement for peace. And I love Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. You need to mark that in your Bible and read it often because God is saying in Deuteronomy 6, 24, that the rules and the regulations and all of these requirements are not for His benefit. He says these are for your benefit and for your survival. Literally what God requires of us is for us to be able to even survive in this world. I love that. I love to realize that every single thing that God does is to make life good for us. Okay, number four, a need for deliverance will cause a subtle anxiety. Now Matthew 12 verse 28 says, if I cast out demons by the power of God, then what can come upon us? The kingdom of God. Okay, and the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and join the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, if I cast out demons by the power of God, he said, then there's going to be room for my righteousness and my peace and my joy to come upon you. Now, demons can't live in a Christian spirit, man, because the Holy Spirit's living there. But we can certainly have demon spirits that are robbing our peace, the peace in our mind and the peace in our emotions. But if they're cast out, then that gets rid of that and allows the Spirit of God, allows the, the peace of God to come in. I know people who have had their feelings hurt over and over and over, and, and they feel justified because they realize they're not doing anything wrong. It's another person that's always constantly hurting their feelings. And sometimes you'll say to them, well, you know, that's a spirit. That needs to be taken care of. And they'll say, no, you know, I'm not doing anything. That person is doing something to me. They're legitimately hurting me. And if you can ever get them to come to a place where they realize that it's a spirit and they allow that to be cast out, it's amazing then they'll tell you how free they are. Uh, the same situation will come up again and they'll say, hey, that didn't even hurt my feelings because they don't realize that spirits are real. And they bring in these hurts and anger and anxieties. And when we can get deliverance, well, then we're not going to be hooked by those things. Now, when you get that thing either healed or delivered, whichever the case might be, you're going to begin to experience more and more of God's peace. Now, Colossians 
gives us something else about peace that's such a blessing. There's so much having to do with this peace of God. And it brings so much into our life. It gives us so much fulfillment because he says that his peace is to rule in our mind. Okay, that word rule just means to guide. It means to direct. It means to take us where we're supposed to go. And that's a good barometer because when the peace of God is there, we know we're headed in the right direction. But have you ever been headed in a a certain direction and all of a sudden you lost your peace? And you knew that all of a sudden you just, you knew something was wrong. Okay, if that happens, that's an indication that we need to stop and we need to retrace our steps and, and we need to find our peace again. The Lord will show you what's amiss because you're going to find out now your peace is not going to go where things are amiss. Years ago, I had this lady call and ask me if I would go to DFW with her to pick up her mother. And so Jack had said it was okay and I was going to go with her and he was working at 3M at the time. Well, the afternoon that we were to leave, I completely lost my peace. Well, by the time we were ready to go, I was in tears because I just, I thought, I can't go. Something is wrong. Well, Jack was getting ready to go to work, and when he saw how much my peace was gone, he prayed, and he felt like he was supposed to call in and take a day's vacation, and he drove us to DFW. And we didn't know what it was. We just knew my peace was completely gone. When we got into the Metroplex, there was a storm like we had never seen. We couldn't even see the hood ornament on the car. And I'm not a good driver, not in the city anyway. And uh, Jack is. And I thought, you know, my peace was telling me, don't do that. Don't go. And Jack got us there and we did fine. But that's why we've got to be led by our peace. And when we ignore the fact that our peace is gone, many times we're going to find ourselves getting in big trouble. All of these things, if you'll take everything that peace will do for you, and if you'll list these things out, you're going to find out you don't want to be without peace, not even for a moment. Now, a lot of times a person will say, well, God has everything under control. And that can sound so right. Oh, God has everything under control. Everything's going to be fine. But we're going to find out that God only controls that which we allow Him to control in our lives. He doesn't have everything under control in my life if I'm not allowing Him to. Because He's given us a free will. And part of having things right is giving Him the permission and following that peace that He's given to us being led by our peace. Okay, number five, if you're not sure that God truly loves you personally, there's going to always be a subtle anxiety. There's going to be a lack of peace. Now, there are a lot of people and they look in the Word of God and they say, yes, God is loving. I believe that He loves other people, but I just don't believe that He actually loves me. Well, Romans 8.37 tells us that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And we have to come to a place where we take these scriptures on the love of God and we realize that He is talking to each one of us. And there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from that love. Now, we can refuse to accept it But God is still there, and He's offering that love over and over and over. You know, even if we're still in our sin, He still loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. And in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says that He will never leave us, and He will never forsake us. And sometimes we have to say those scriptures over and over until we finally come to a place where we truly, truly believe that. Now, so many people say, well, I just don't feel His love. I just don't feel any love coming from God. We have to lay aside our feelings. The Bible never tells us to go by feelings. 
We just need to quote back to God what He says about us. Now, He says He loves us, so we need to quote back to Him and say, Father, You've told me that You love me with an everlasting love. I choose to believe that. And you don't have to feel that at first. You know, just believe it. The feelings will come, but you don't have to worry about the feelings. And when you start saying this, you're going to find that anxiety will start leaving and peace will begin to flood your soul. Now, we need to just set a go because if God says that we can have perfect peace, if we can have constant peace, then we need to come to a place where we're not willing to settle for anything less. Okay, let's go back to our formula now in Philippians chapter 4. The first part was be anxious for nothing, and I spent most of the time there because it is the anxieties that will hinder peace the most. But the last part of verse 6 now says, but in everything... Okay, circle that. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the second step now toward peace is prayer. But it's not just any kind of prayer. You know, some people, they think they're praying when they're really not praying according to the will of God. But it says, let your requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving. And you may be thinking, well, if I have all these big needs, how am I going to be able to be thankful? Well, that's one of the secrets to peace. We read earlier in Matthew 6, verse 8, that it says that Jesus already knows what we have need of, and He knows it before we ask. But God tells us to ask. He tells us to pray. But there's a right way to ask, and I want you to hear that praying the right way is one of the secrets to peace. Now, you're familiar with 1 John 5, 14, but it says, if you pray to your heavenly Father, and you pray according to His perfect will, according to the Word of God, then you can know that He hears you, and if you know that He hears you, you know you're going to receive that which you've asked for. Now, when we believe that, it's going to be easy to start praying with thanksgiving. In Mark 11, 23 and 24, it tells us that when you pray and ask, believe you've already received it, and then it'll be granted. When that becomes a reality on the inside of us, then we're going to start being really excited when we pray. It doesn't matter how big the need might be. If you're praying according to the will of God and you start believing these promises, then you're going to be so excited when you pray that it is going to be with thanksgiving. There's just going to be an excitement going to rise up and come out of you anytime you pray because you know the answer is coming. And that knowing is going to usher in God's peace. Now, after you've been anxious for nothing and after you've prayed with thanksgiving, knowing that God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to answer our prayers more than we want Him to answer them. If we just knew how much He loved us and how much He wants to do for us. And then in verse 7, it says, And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, now this is a spiritual force. This peace is going to come up from the inside. And that's why we can never understand it with our physical mind. But it's a spiritual force. And it comes up and it says it guards your heart and it guards your mind. And then verse 8 says, And finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That's saying exactly what Isaiah 26 verse 3 said. That once again, it's telling us to keep our minds stayed on the Word of God. Not to dwell on the negative circumstances, but to dwell on these things of God, the things that are right and true and honorable. 
You know, quite a few years ago, when our children were young, we had this relative who had a lot of mental problems. He'd be fine one minute, and then the next minute he'd just go ballistic. And he had gone to Vietnam, and he didn't go as a soldier, but no one knew where he was for years. They just thought he had died over there. Well, one day the doorbell rang, and it was the freight company, and the freight company moved all of his suitcases and put them right there, unloaded them in our living room. And I sat there and I looked at that and I had anything but peace going on in my mind. I just panicked. You know, my eyes were on the circumstances and my mind was thinking all these things that had happened in the past and fear just started to engulf me. Well, Jack came home later that evening and we started praying and I started getting my peace back. And surely enough, he came. We were living in town, so we put him on a cot out in the den and the children were little. That first night we could hear him moving around and in fact we heard every move that he made. Well, we heard him get out of bed and all of a sudden, you know how your heart just kind of gets up in your throat and you hear your heart beating in your ears, you know. My peace was completely gone. My mind and my thoughts were completely stayed on the circumstances. And so finally Jack whispered to me and he said, Pedros, God's telling me that we are to fix our mind on what he promises and that we're to make these requests with thanksgiving. And so he began to thank God and he began to use the promise in the word that God's angels were encamped round about us. And so he just started saying, Lord, I just thank you that your angels are encamped round about us. Your angels are encamped round about our children. Your angels are encamped round about us. Your angels are encamped round about Bob. And almost instantly, my mind was just engulfed in peace. It's amazing what the Word of God will do. As he started praying that, and he was thanking him, well, all of a sudden, I was picturing those angels. I could see those angels. It didn't make any sense because the circumstances had not changed one bit. It's just that I got my mind off of the circumstances and onto what the promise of God was. And when my mind then was stayed not on the circumstances that brings death, but my mind all of a sudden started being stayed on the Word of God, then that peace started coming in. And it was truly a peace that passes human understanding. And it did put a guard around my heart. It put a guard around my mind. And I dropped off to sleep. I had intended to stay up all night. I was going to stay up and I was going to make sure that nothing happened, you know. But as that peace just engulfed me, I dropped off to sleep without even meaning to. And it does pass our human understanding because we can never understand it. Now the end of that story is interesting because the next morning at our bedroom door, we had closed the children's door, but we had our door open so that we'd be able to know if something was going on. But we found one of my kitchen steak knives. Now I'm not talking about a butcher knife. It was a steak knife, but it was there laying on the floor right at the door into our bedroom and the blade was broken from the handle and both hives were laying right there on the floor. Now that knife had not been there the day before and it certainly hadn't been broken. And so we don't know what happened. We may never know what happened in this life, but what matters is that God's angels were there and we were protected and we did sleep in God's peace. I wish I knew what had happened. I was curious for a long time. Now the world says that it's impossible to be at peace all the time. But if that's true, then the Word's wrong because the Word says we can be in constant peace. But we have a part to play. And that Isaiah 26 verse 3 in the Old Testament and Philippians 4, 6 through 8 in the New Testament is the only way. If we want peace badly enough, that's the way to get it. And it's the only way. Now the world's going to give you a thousand and one ways to search for peace. 
But I'm going to tell you what, these two simple principles never fail if we put them to work. But we have to take time to get the steps down. And it's simple, except when you're in the middle of the circumstances. And then sometimes it's hard. But once you start doing it, that's when all of a sudden then the peace starts passing human understanding. And that's when it becomes a guard on your mind. Now this peace that we're talking about is one of God's covenant promises. That's how important it is to God. And anytime it's a covenant promise, then he depicts that promise with his covenant name. That's why he calls himself the Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. So that's how important it is to God that even named himself that so that we would know that that peace was real. Now I'm going to end by reading the covenant promise out of Isaiah 54:10, but you'll want to mark that in your Bible. But in Isaiah 54, verse 10, Read the whole chapter 54 of Isaiah. It's wonderful. But in verse 10 it says, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. And sometimes when our circumstances are big enough, it does feel like the mountains are shaking, that everything around us is moving. But God says, My loving kindness will not be removed from you. And notice He says, And my covenant of peace. It's not just a peace that He gives to us, but it's a covenant of peace that He gives to us will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Okay, now your peace is going to be in exact proportion to the amount of time that you operate in these two godly principles. Now this is a covenant of peace. And this is our part to play, the Isaiah 26, 3 and the uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. But when we operate our part, we're going to find in direct proportion to that, we're going to have this peace that passes human understanding. Father, thank You, thank You for the peace that You've made available to us. Father, thank You that You wanted us to have that peace first with You, Lord. And Lord, we receive that when we accept Jesus as our Savior. But then, Lord, You didn't expect us then just to be anxious over the things in this life. But You made it possible then for us to have peace with our fellow man, and you've made it possible to have peace then because of the peace with you. You've made it possible for us to bring that peace into our mind and into our emotions. Father, help us to desire this and to pursue it. You tell us to pursue peace. Help us to pursue it to such an extent, Lord, that we determine in our hearts that if constant peace is available, we want it. Father, we thank you that it does pass human understanding. We thank You, Father, that it does put a guard on our heart and on our mind. We thank You, Father, for all the wonderful benefits that come with this kind of peace. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.